Hi, I'm Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge. Thanks for listening to this special Best of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge on Faith Radio. Good morning. It is Tuesday. This is the fourth day of Christmas. It is the 28th of December. And you say to yourself, the, the Christmas is over. No, no, no. <clears throat> not so fast. Christmas is uh, actually a season of 12 days, and it has literally just begun. So if you felt like, you know, you needed a little more Christmas, well, I am here to share with you that not only is that possible, it is happening. Today is the fourth day of the 12 days of Christmas. So Using the song um, as our touch point here, Saturday was Partridge in a Pear Tree Day. Sunday was Two Turtle Dove Day. Yesterday was Three French Hen Day. And today is the fourth. So today is the day of the four calling birds. Now, what in the world am I talking about? Well, have you ever considered the 12 days of Christmas, the song, a way of, you know, like bringing the Word of God into the conversation of the day? I mean, you know, maybe not, because you've only thought of it as like, you know, a bird song. There's a partridge, it's in a pear tree, there are two turtle doves, there are three French hens, and then there are these four calling birds. We're going to get to the rest of the crowd in just a minute. So um, it's not actually about birds, hens, uh, doves, or partridges. It's... um. It's a song that you can use to actually walk around in what's called catechesis, like, right, a way of teaching uh, that is creative and fun and often a, a question and answer format back and forth. Well, this isn't teaching through question and answer. This is teaching through singing. So unlike our 21st century practice of celebrating Christmas from Halloween to New Year's, Historically, the birth of Christ was actually celebrated for 12 days, beginning with Christmas. Like you resisted the temptation to sing Christmas carols before Christmas. You went Christmas caroling on Christmas. Uh, And Christmas actually then concluded on Epiphany, which is January the 6th, or that is actually Orthodox Christmas. And so uh, our Orthodox Christian brothers and sisters will be celebrating Christmas then. So everything from the Christmas tree to Christmas gifts and Christmas parties waited for the actual arrival of the Savior. Christmas carols were actually not sung until the babe was in the manger. Imagine that for those of us that have been weary of Christmas carols because they've now been going on for weeks. All right. What do lords a-leaping, ladies dancing, and Laying hens have to do with the advent of the Christ child. Well, I am so glad that you asked. So I like to think of the 12 days of Christmas, the song, uh, as a biblical parable. Now, there's all kinds of discussion about whether or not this is legitimate. But, you know, um, it's radio. This is really hard to criticize me, especially during a week when we're 
running uh, recorded shows, which is exactly what you're listening to right now. So we will be back live on uh, on Monday. But this week we are running a series of shows that we recorded in advance, um, celebrating many of the good segments that we've had over the year and um, starting off each day with an opportunity for us to talk about something Christmassy, but not necessarily headline newsy. There you go. All right. So when we look at the 12 days of Christmas as a biblical parable, I want you to think for a moment about who is the partridge in the prayer tree? To what might the two turtle doves refer? Who might the three French hens or the four calling birds be? What might be the five golden rings? On and on and on. We'll talk about it more in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. All righty, so here we go. Looking at the 12 days of Christmas, we are in day four of the 12 days of Christmas right now. It is a season, not just a day. We're looking at the verses of the song from the 12 days of Christmas, and we are considering, hmm, how might these be a biblical parable? What might be the meaning uh, or a different level of meaning in the verses of the song? There's a surface meaning for sure, but is there a layer of meaning beneath that? Well, Let's consider that there might be. If so, then the partridge in the pear tree symbolizes Jesus Christ. Uh, on the first day of Christmas, when you're lucky to me, a partridge in a pear tree. Who is your true love and what would your true love give you? What has your true love given you? Jesus. And the, and the pear tree, right? So let's just imagine for a moment the greatest gift you and I have ever, could ever, ever have received, could ever possibly received is the good gift of God's grace delivered in the person of Christ upon the cross. That is the tree. That's what's going on there. Settle in and think about that and talk about that. The two turtle doves, well, they might represent the Old and the New Testaments of the Bible. I mean, what a great gift we have received from God um, that that he would reveal himself in such a way that we could receive it and we could read it together and study and learn and grow in our awareness and knowledge and share it with others. It's extraordinary. The three French hens, hens um, well, I mean, you know, there's probably all kinds of ways you could think about. I mean, the, the number three is, there's just lots of appearances of the number three in Scripture. So, I don't know. I guess you could think of it as the Trinity, if that's the conversation you wanted to have. Uh, I think traditionally what has been thought of here are the enduring realities of faith, hope, and love. You might also uh, have the three transcendental um, realities of God, goodness, beauty, and truth. So there you go. you got lots of options for the three French hens. I suppose it depends what you want to talk about there, how you want to unpack that. All of those would be good. But that brings us to day four. Today is day four, right? So the four calling birds. Who are the four calling birds? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? They're calling out to us all the time through the four Gospels. We'll spend, uh, we'll settle in on that in just a moment and, and unpack that a little bit more. But let me go ahead and uh, reflect, consider what the rest of the days of the 12 days of Christmas might mean and how you might talk uh, about them with your family or people that you gather with today. The five golden rings, 
Well, the five golden rings, I would say, you know, recall the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. The six geese laying? Hmm. Let's do the six days of creation. And you say to yourself, well, I mean, creation is seven days. Well, really, creation is six days of creation and uh, a day of rest. So, um, so there you go. Six geese laying. Yeah, let's do the six days of creation. Where would you find those? Well, you would find those in Genesis chapter one. If you are new to this exercise of faith, uh, the creation narrative is told in Genesis one and two. Um, and if you say to yourself, well, why are there two stories? There's, there seem to be in conflict. Anytime that you see something in scripture and you say to yourself, there's a contradiction, um, the, the better way of understanding that is I just don't fully understand um, because it's God's word and there's some mystery there. And I will acknowledge that the fact that there are two Genesis accounts or two accounts of creation in Genesis might be, um, might be confusing, but they're not in conflict with each other. Um, they are, um, they are complementary in some way that we don't really fully understand. All right. How about the seven swans a swimming? Well, what if we, um, what if we looked at those as the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit? So the gift is the Holy Spirit. Um, in historically, the sevenfold gifts of the Spirit included wisdom, understanding, counsel, courage, knowledge, piety, also known as reverence, and the fear of the Lord, also known as wonder or awe. So um, when you think about the Holy Spirit and you think about the gifts of the Spirit, I think sometimes we, um, we think about things other than this list. But what is it that we receive when we receive the Holy Spirit? We receive the very presence of God. We receive um, the the Spirit in in terms of the attributes of the Spirit Himself. And so, you know, what does the Spirit know, and what does the Spirit bring to us upon His arrival? Wisdom, understanding, counsel, courage, knowledge, reverence, fear of the Lord. All right, how about the eight maids a-milking? Um, I would use here uh, the, the Beatitudes. There are eight Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5. That would be a place to turn if you want to um, talk about the eight maids a-milking. Nine ladies dancing. I'm going to use the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit. We get those in Galatians chapter 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The ten lords a-leaping, I'm going to use there the ten commandments, eleven pipers piping, the eleven faithful disciples, and you're going to say there were twelve disciples, and I'm going to say let's not talk about Judas right now. And then the twelve drummers drumming, hmm, what if you um, unpack the twelve points in the Apostles or the Nicene Creed? It's interesting that there are 12 of those. The number 12, you got a lot of 12s in the Bible, so you could go lots of directions with that. All right, when we sing the 12 days of Christmas, maybe we could uh, be singing and talking on two layers of meaning. We got more on that in just a moment. You're listening to Mornings with Carmen. So we've unpacked the 12 days of Christmas, or we've started to anyway, and I have encouraged you to think of a secondary layer of meaning beyond, 
you know, maids milking, ladies dancing, lords leaping, pipers piping, and drummers drumming, um, and birds, and thinking instead, or in addition to that, at another layer or level, allow the God, uh, allow the Lord to call to mind everything that our true love sends. So, when you think about every good and perfect gift, which Scripture says comes from the Father of Lights, who is above what's on your gift list? Like, what has your true love given you this Christmas? On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me partridge in a pear tree. Okay, on the first day of Christmas, what arrives on the first day of Christmas? It's not a what, it's a who. Jesus arrives on the first day of Christmas. And he arrives as a gift of God's love. Have you ever considered just how much God loves you? How much does God love you? All right, so you might feel silly doing this, but I don't care. Reach your arms out right now as far as you can to the left and the right. Far as you can. Reach them out. Go ahead. I'm, I'm doing it right here, right now. I'm reaching them out to the left and the right. Does God love you that much? Oh, yes, and more. See, if, see how far back there you can. Can you touch your hands together in the back? I can't. I, well, I mean, I can if I turn my palms together. But if I keep my palms turned out like a, you know, like you're trying to make a hug, I can only, I can't go, I don't know, there's still a pretty good gap back there. My shoulder blades don't smush together like they used to. All right. So get that as far as you can. Does God love you that much? Oh, yes. And more. How much does God love you? He took on human flesh to condescend to our reality, to dwell among us, to experience life as a man, fully human, fully God. Our true love loves us so much. He came wrapped in human flesh. Partridge in a pear tree? Every time you hear it and every time you sing it, I hope you think of Jesus. Your one true love comes in the person of Christ. Yes, as a baby in a manger, but he comes that he might one day die on the tree that we call the cross of Calvary. Because he loves us that much. Because he loves you that much. That's how I want us to um, consider this particular Christmas carol. Every time we sing through these verses, down this list, all the way up to 12 and all the way back down, I want us to consider the good gifts, not only of Jesus Christ, but the Bible, the Old and New Testament, the realities of faith, hope, and love, or, or goodness, beauty, and truth, or the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I want us to consider the four calling birds of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I want us to consider the five golden rings of the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
I, I want us to consider the six days of creation. I want us to call forth to mind the sevenfold gifts of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, understanding, counsel, courage, knowledge, reverence, and fear of the Lord. I, I, want, us, I want us to go and look up and read again the eight Beatitudes spoken by our Lord and Savior at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. I want us to consider the nine fruits of the Holy Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want us to think about the ten lords leaping as the ten commandments. I want them to leap to our mind. I want us to desire to have one God and one God alone. The 11 pipers piping. I want us to think about each one of the 11 faithful disciples and all that they endured on Christ's behalf and how they so faithfully passed along generation to generation the good news of the gospel, the, the things that they had seen and heard of which they were witnesses. And yeah, I want us to drum to mind, drum up again the 12 points of the Apostles' Creed in order that we can stand and say what we believe. I believe in God the Father, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. I believe he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I believe he was born of the Virgin Mary. I believe he suffered and died. I want us to get to the place where we don't just hear the rhythm of a Christmas song. I want us to be people whose minds and imaginations and conversations are filled layer upon layer with the gospel and the goodness of what God has packed into the scriptures. I want our hearts to sing. I want our lives to be a beautiful witness and testimony to each and every one of these good gifts of God the Father, our one true love sent to us at Christmas. So what do you know about these four calling birds? Today is the fourth day of Christmas, so it's the day of the four calling birds. What do you know about these four calling birds? We've just read through uh, together in our reading through the Bible in, in the first 24 days of December. We've just read through the Gospel of Luke. So what do you feel like you know about Luke now? What do you feel you know uh, about the way that Luke put his gospel together and for what purpose? How does Luke approach um, the, the gospel differently than Matthew, Mark, and John? There's a lot of parallels between Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They are the synoptic gospels. They are very similar. They follow um, certainly a similar um, timeline, but also include similar stories. So what are the special things that Luke includes? And where does he depart from the patterns of Matthew and Mark? And what does that say about what Luke is trying to emphasize? Ask those same questions about each one of the calling birds. What does Matthew say that the others don't say? And John, John's gospel is very different than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. How does he approach his gospel? What does he want us to see? How does he juxtapose 
life and death, light and darkness. What's he trying to get across and communicate? And then read John's gospel in conversation with the other things that John wrote, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. And if you don't yet have a reading plan, since we've just finished the gospel of Luke, what if you turn to the follow-on, which is the book of Acts, also written by Luke? What more does Luke have to say? This is a, he's a calling bird that keeps calling. He calls to us again from the book of Acts. How does the good news that is shared by these four calling birds of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, how does the good news they share arrive as good news through us today? We are the calling birds of this generation. We have been called by God and sent by him to shine as lights in a dark and perverse generation. Let us do so with singing and with joy. We'll be right back. So I'm kind of curious, when you think about the way that people around us see us as Christians, what's your perception of their perception, right? So this is a, a, a conversation or consideration, not only about the way we see ourselves as Christians, but the way we perceive that others perceive us. So I know that's a little bit complicated to consider, but just pause for just a moment and think about that. So how do I see myself as a Christian? And then how do others see me? And am I clear about that? Like, how clear am I about how others around me are perceiving me? Because I think there has been, in fact, I know there's been this like cultural shift the church used to be and Christians used to be sort of perceived as the good guys, a force for good in the world. But that's been changing fairly rapidly in recent years. Christians are now often seen as, well, the bad guys, uh, not only people who lack respect, but lack significant influence in the culture. And so Stephen McAlpin's book, Being the Bad Guys, is one of the books from this past year that really stands out to me in terms of equipping Christians for the reality of the world we face today. And so um, thanks again for listening to this best of episode of Mornings with Carmen. My conversation with Stephen McAlpin is coming up in five minutes. culture that sees us now as the bad guys? How do we live for Jesus in the midst of a culture that says we shouldn't? The book is Being the Bad Guys. Stephen McAlpin joins me now. Welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Great to be with you, Carmen. All right. So um, tell us where you are in the world today and what it looks like out a window if you were to be able to look out a window right now. Well, I was just going to say, I can't say good morning to you other than for you, because it's uh, about 20 to 9 at night here in uh, Perth in Western Australia. So west coast of Australia, right down the bottom. And it's uh, dark, I guess. Uh, and it's still very warm. It'd still be, I don't know, what temperature 
in in Fahrenheit it be, but it was a shorts and t-shirt and hat day, and that's for sure. <laughs> that is awesome. That is it's such you know every time I have a conversation with someone who you know literally lives half a world away, I'm just reminded of not only how big the world is, but also how small it is. I'm grateful for technology and the ability to communicate with you now. I'm also just extraordinarily grateful to be your sister in Christ to acknowledge that we're going to spend all of eternity together in the kingdom of heaven and that we have the privilege of advancing those kingdom principles now in the midst of this generation um, that we, you know, that we live in the midst of. So um, thank you for joining us today. Tell us, um, what is the lived experience or the contemporary reality that you're trying to address in the book, Being the Bad Guys? I think it's that feeling that Christians have got that suddenly they're no longer the people who might be the solution to the problems that the culture has, even though they might be the sort of the do-gooder solutions, to a position where they're seen as maybe we're the do-badder. And somehow what we're saying about how we live ethically, especially in the areas of sex and gender and all those things that are at the forefront, are not only uh, dinosaur ideas, but they're dangerous ideas. And I think Christians have thought, how how has that happened? How have I become the bad guy in the office place when I hold to what seemed to be a normal uh, sexual ethic around Christianity? How's that seen as part of the problem? And I'm finding as a pastor and as someone who works in this area of culture that Christians are now starting to say, what do we do about that? How do we move forward? And so um, I want to talk, I want to back up and ask, you know, how did Christians become the bad guys? I want to talk about um, this cultural change. But let's do a little bit of the positive part first, because this you do view this really as an opportunity for God's people. And one of the things that I love that you're doing is, um, you know, for people who are like sort of doing a bulk order of these, you're actually offering like a free hour long call with you to talk about their specific ministry context. I just think that is so cool. And that says you don't just have a heart, you know, for the book. You have a heart for the people who are going to read the book and the places where um, this is going to be applied. So that's just so cool. And I just wanted to compliment you on that. Oh, yeah, thanks. Look, at that. to me, that was a critical part of it. I suggested it to uh, the, the publisher because I, I've been a pastor for so long and I'm realizing that I'm sending people out on Monday morning to engage in a world that... Uh, is probably harder to deal with than my world if I'm working in pastoral ministry. It used to be that you'd go into pastoral ministry and that was taking a hit for the team. And now it feels like sending you to Babylon on Monday morning in the, uh, the law firm is taking a hit for the team. So I said, let's do that because every situation is slightly different. There'll be enough commonality, but people are coming with different questions. And uh, hey, as you said, technology and uh, has, has helped. And uh, if you haven't done a thousand Zoom calls in the last year, you're probably not alive because <laughs> it seems to be that <laughs> that's what's happening. <laughs> so it does feel to some people like the hostility is sudden. Um, mm. I, that is not my personal experience because I've been in environments where I have felt the temperature of the water rising for most of my life. So, um, and and I described when we talked to uh, friends and colleagues from uh, Europe, and we talked to friends and colleagues even from Canada, certainly from Australia. I remind North, Amer- like, well, American Christians, like we're talking to our brothers and sisters from the future. Like you guys are already further along um, the the post Christian path than we are. And so, speak to us from the future here, because this feels like sudden hostility, but it's not sudden. 
You stole my line. I say to all the, all the time when I do speak to people in the U.S. that I'm coming to you from the future, what your future is okay, well, going to be. Well, there's a guy in Vancouver that yeah. maybe stole your line first. All right. Oh, I know. I'm going to have to look that up for you. Maybe it's Mark <laughs> Clark. Anyway, I'll think yeah. about that. I'm sure it's nothing original but uh, in me. But, yeah, for me it was the same, that it hasn't happened overnight. And obviously, as I mentioned in the book, there's, there's things that come out of the Enlightenment, the Romantic movement of you know the earlier centuries where the individual is pushed to the fore as the centre and locus of uh, what life's about. But I guess that it ramped up in the sexual revolution with uh, where do you find your locus of identity and how do you liberate yourself the mo and be the most autonomous person you can? Now, I went to university in the 80s, so I recognised even in Australia, which was a little bit more laissez-faire and sort of uh, lazy secularism, that there was a hard secularism coming towards cr the Christian framework from critical theory, from all those things. And I thought, would these ideas ever fly in the culture? Well, I should have thought they would because I was doing communications and cultural studies and everyone who's my age now in their mid-50s uh, went into the arts and culture where the stories are told and where they are presented to our culture. And suddenly you're getting this hostility coming through. And it hasn't. Uh, it feels sudden, but as we're saying, it's been a slow burn through the centuries. And now I think the key issue for me was that the gospel of Jesus is being seen as a an impediment to this other gospel. I think it's a gospel uh, tussle. It's a, a tussle between the gospel of Christ and the gospel of a good news that once I was blind, but now I see. It's the same language being used to describe very different uh, points of direction. And I think that's what's happened, that that whole rise uh, over the last couple of centuries of uh, where is the locus of our meaning, who is in charge of who I am, has flowered in the last 60 years through the sexual revolution. And then that sexual revolution has said your primary locus of identity is in your sexuality because it's the deepest part of you. And obviously we don't, you know, I don't hold to that narrative, but it's a very strong narrative. And it's Disney, Netflix, whatever you want to call, will layer that on thick. Okay, if you're listening um, to us right now and you're saying to yourself, I need that, like I need being the bad guys. I have woken up to the reality that I thought I was a good guy and I'm characterized as a bad guy. I don't really know how um, to live that out. I don't know. I really don't know how to be a Jesus person in, a, in the contemporary context that I find myself in. We're giving copies of the book away today. Um, so thankful to our friends at The Good Book Company for the copies we have in studio to give away today. You can text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. Again, uh, text the word BOOK to 877-933-2484. For those of you who remember the conversation that I had with Carl Truman about his book, The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, and I told you there were words in that book I had to look up because it's like deeply philosophical. It's really, really good, but it's deeply philosophical. This is the same book. It's just written in a way that is really easy to understand, apprehend, and apply immediately. So if you thought to yourself, Oh, that um, that sort of analysis that Truman did of our cultural, uh, current cultural reality was really, really helpful. But I don't want to have to look up words when I'm reading a book. This is your book. This is uh, be, being um, being the bad guys is immediately applicable, easy to understand and great for um, helping to equip us as Christians in the cultural context in which we actually live 
today. Tons of resources related to the book at the good, the good book dot co.uk, which I know is a lot um, to remember, but um, if you want more resources to download, I can get those to you as well. Stephen McAlpin and I will continue our conversation about being the bad guys in just a moment. We'll be right back. I'm continuing my conversation with Stephen McAlpin. He is a pastor. He's an author. Uh, he's a church planter. Being the Bad Guys is the book we're talking about today. You can find him at Stephen McAlpin, M-C-A-L-P-I-N-E, like Alpine, but like a Scottish Alpine, McAlpine.com. And Stephen is a PH Stephen, not a V. So Stephen with a PH, Mick like he's Scottish, alpine like he's skiing dot com, Stephen McAlpin dot com. How'd I do, Stephen? Describing that how is to the spell most your creative name. way. The most creative get, way because you would be surprised how many people get it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> getting people to you, man. Okay. So um let's uh let's continue this. I think that one of the things I've heard you say is that we have a lot of like self censoring that goes on as Christians today, just because we're trying to, you know, we're trying to keep the peace. We're trying, I really don't want my Thanksgiving table to just turn into a, like a political food fight, um, a, you know, a, a, a throwdown. So a lot of Christians are self-censoring today, but that is, you know, sort of putting my light under a basket. And that's not what I'm called to do as a Christian either. Can you address a little bit of that? Well, look, I think that's the, a big tension because I think for the last 20 years it's been how can you be the water cooler Christian and the churches have equipped you to have those conversations and then you're in a workplace which even the HR departments have social agendas that you have to be very careful how you tread through. And I think part of the issue with the sexuality issue is it becomes the shibboleth, you know what I mean by that, that it's the mm -hmm. point at which you're no longer regarded as you know a friendly, as friendly, you are trouble. And I think Christians are saying, how do I navigate that space when the first thing that people aren't going to ask me is, did you believe dinosaurs existed? But do you think that uh, same-sex marriage is okay? It's a, the testing ground is the sexuality debate. And I think Christians have to say, look, I'm going to have to lean in, into that a little bit. I'm going to have to explain myself, but it is going to be a little bit more costly than it was in the past, not with everyone, but uh, with some. But You'd, you'd be hoping that somehow you're not going in day one at your workplace saying, well, I'm going to wave around my copy of being the bad guy. And sort of you've built into yourself in your workplace some credibility as to who you are and how you function. So that if people say, how could that person hold that, you know, you know that view that is so transgressive now, they might pause and think and say, well, hang on, if they are like that in the rest of their life that in, in a way that I think is good. There's something about what they're saying here I don't get. Maybe I need to ask some more questions. But I think it's a, it's a difficult task, and it needs the whole church to support Christians in the workplace to do that. I think that you can't. it's harder to be a lone ranger because you feel like you're, you've got a target on your back these days in the workplace. We spend a lot of time, um, I mean, a lot of people who are listening right now spend a lot of time in environments that, you know, we would not consider faith-friendly. Um, some of them are expressly faith-unfriendly. And I think that this approach of, of the credibility that I earn 
um, over the course of time is really, really significant. Uh, I know that, you know, that you um, you mentor Christians uh, across Australia. Talk a little bit about the context of of that. Um, what's going on at City Bible Forum? What is Third Space? Like, tell us a little bit about what's going on with you. Well, City Bible Forum was set up to help evangelize uh, city workers through just long-term relationships by other Christians in the workplace. And so what they've noticed as they're doing this is that even though the Christian framework in the social media is seen as, uh, you know, it's beyond the pale, uh, the average person in the workplace doesn't necessarily feel like that. And it, they they will sidle up to people and say, look, you're a Christian. I've got a question about this. What do you think? And City Bible Forum has pitched itself deliberately to be the kind of place where Christians can be supported in that environmental, in that network, and become the kind of people who could be the go-to person if there's someone asking a question about something. Uh, Third Space itself is a sort of plug-and-play for City Bible Forum, which is saying, how can we help Christians in any setting, and that's university or work or whatever at home, um, find the the third spaces, the the neutral territories to have conversations, because it does feel, as you say before, Thanksgiving or Christmas or whatever day it is, it feels like it's going to be a bun fight. And it just feels like the ground where you can have a common conversation has shrunk a bit like you're clinging to this shrinking iceberg and a a polar bear clinging to this little bit of land where you can have a positive conversation. So what I wanted to do uh, with where I work and what I write is to say, how much, how can we create as much good space as possible to have conversations that matter about Jesus. And a colleague there has written another book, How Not to Be That Guy, which sounds a little bit against what I'm writing, but Mm -hmm. we we write the same way because we all know that guy and we don't want to be that guy who everyone kind of avoids. But we want to be the kind of person that is what I call repellently attractive in what they're saying, that people go, that can't be right because I know that's not true about how sexual ethics works. But that person seems to have their life a bit more together and some answers about life more than I do. And that's going to be intriguing to them. All right. How not to be that guy. All right. I'm, not, I'm writing that down. That sounds intriguing. Um, so is that, is that a book on how to talk about Jesus? Yes, it, it's exactly yeah. that. How not, it's, uh, in one sense, it's the, uh, not the flip side of what I'm saying. It's saying, how do you go into the workplace exactly the same way without being the uh, the grumpy Christian, because what I don't want in what, what I was writing and what my friend who wrote this book, Sam Chan, said, we don't want to be going in as if we're, we're just that cultural warrior all the time that wants to shoot down everything about everything. There's enough of that. I think we can hold to our convictions clearly uh, and do so being happy warriors, so to speak, uh, rather than sort of grumpy all the time. Uh, it's going to be a challenge. I don't think it's I'm um, under no illusions because the way so, social policies in workplaces go, it can take you down. And I do want people to be prepared for that, that uh, we are not promised uh, a, an elevator ride to a happy future in this age. We're promised joy in the midst of struggle. And I think to fall back into to that and to realize that Jesus said, if anyone wants to follow me, they must die to themselves. And anyone who wants to live a godly life will be persecuted. That's not in the fine print of the Bible. That's up front and center. Yeah, and that's actually really one of the, I, I think, critical things that you deal with in the book. Like, wh- why are we so surprised? Um, and, and sort of how to deal uh, how to deal with that. All right, there is so much really great stuff in being the bad guys 
you're going to want to check out everything that Stephen McAlpin is doing. And so let me uh, let me remind you again, you can visit him online at stephenmcalpin.com. The book is Being the Bad Guys, How to Live for Jesus in a World that Says We Shouldn't. Stephen, thank you for staying up late and joining us all the way from Perth. Oh, it's been great. Thanks so much. What a delight. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. Let's take a moment to reflect together on that conversation that we had with Stephen McAlpin. I'm, I guess I'm wondering, um, not only, you know, like, how do we feel like the culture ended up this way? Were there times and places where you and I recognized that we turned aside when we should have turned toward the culture, when we resisted having hard conversations, when we should have pressed into them? Have there been times when we've been pushed back on our heels um, when we should have, you know, frankly, leaned forward, um, you know, on our front foot, stood our ground in some conversations as opposed to always being the people who, well, you know, let's just let that go because we don't want to cause a problem. And now we find ourselves at this real point of tension between authentic Christianity and the secular culture in which we live. So how are you going to engage today in the midst of all of that? I'll be praying for you. I trust that you will be praying for me um, genuinely appreciate the time that uh, you know you offer for us to spend together each and every day. I am reminded that it is um, very, very nearly the end of the year. I want to say thank you to each and every one of you that has participated in the financial support of this ministry over the course of 2021. And if you are um, in a position to make a year-end gift, maybe you waited all year. Um, well, now's the time. You could make your year-end gift at myfaithradio.com. All right, stay tuned for the next hour. Um, we're going to revisit a conversation with Don Wilton about, well, what it was like to really know Billy Graham. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.